Book Three, Part Eight of Susan by Ernest Oldmeadow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Saint Veronique, Part Eight. Bedtime. Susan drifted down the garden path about three o'clock and came to anchor beside my chair. She began turning up the gravel with her toe. He wrote this morning, Miss. She said suddenly. I know, Susan. I said. I saw the envelope susan went on furrowing the gravel would you like to read it miss she asked perhaps there's no necessity i answered a little stiffly perhaps you can manage the reply yourself i wish you would read it miss she said after a very long pause where is it upstairs miss then how can i read it please miss said susan coyly i don't like to show it to you it's so loving indeed i said then be sure you don't worry me with it unless you find you can't answer it yes miss said susan she went back to the hotel with a clouded face the afternoon dragged to tell the truth i wanted to see his letter immensely yet how could i to have read it out of mere curiosity would have been like peeping through a hedge at an unsuspecting pair of sweethearts or like eavesdropping behind some lover's seat still it was terribly tantalizing to have the door of the playhouse slammed in my face just as the piece was getting exciting i tried to read work walk about write but in vain all i could do was to think remember anticipate dream till i felt the loneliest of lonely outcasts ruddington's love affair which had been so silly and worrying and tiresome suddenly became as warm and homely and bright and cosy as a christmas hearth and i felt like a friendless orphan wandering outside in the gloom and the cold by six o'clock i was so deep in the dumps that i positively made some sort of a weather remark to the enormous silent frenchman who had been here a week i hadn't guessed that he was a mountain of shyness at my voice he jumped flushed crimson knocked over his wine choked and nearly frightened me out of my wits before he could utter an intelligible word georgette was sulky about the spilt claret and from merely feeling solitary i went on to the knowledge that i was roundly hated when i came up to my room an hour ago i found susan had left ruddington's letter under my blotting-pad envelope and contents were so flat and uncrumpled that i hardly think they have been cherished next to susan's wildly beating heart ruddington says suzanne all mine as ever i love honour and obey take a month if you will before you speak the word but i have settled it with the stars in their courses what the word must be forever everywhere you are suzanne all mine in her neighbourly good-nature and excellent wisdom miss langley may choose for our meeting-place tracksilby or london or the equator or the north pole or st veronique or the new moon or the summit of mont blanc or ruddington towers or a coral island or the bottomless pit or the top of the monument or any other square yard she pleases so long as suzanne is there in the midst the arid scorching heat of the sahara will be eve's garden refreshed and guarded by the four streams of paradise suzanne has promised that she will come an inch to meet me she shall never turn back alone but let not suzanne mistake this perfect confidence of mine for vanity i believe that suzanne will run to be all mine not because she gives herself lightly for where is there a prouder than suzanne and not because i am handsome or desirable or magnetic 
i am not magnetic i am not desirable i am not handsome no i believe that suzanne must be all mine because i am all hers because it is unthinkable that she should come close to the blaze of such a love as mine without herself taking fire unless the devil is torturing the world such love as mine for thee implies requires compels an equal love of thine for me what a suzanne this is who is all mine when i recall her face as i saw it in traxelby church what a wonderful beautiful suzanne but when i read her letters i cry again with threefold gratitude what a beautiful wonderful suzanne her pride is as fine as the curl of a rose leaf but her sweetness like the rose's perfume hovers over it all not that suzanne thinks that she has ever revealed herself in her letters she believes that she has veiled herself in veils of prudence and reserve but my eyes have found her out have found her more beautiful for her dissembling like a great bright star hiding in the milky way suzanne it is no use hiding any longer the hour has come for shining out without a cloud between do not wait for our meeting write to me just once without distrust of yourself or of me i have obeyed have i not in all things reward me at last pour out your heart even if it be a brim with fears when she reads this prudent suzanne will be moved to answer that i am taking too long and sudden a leap and that i am skipping over two or three seemly stages she will say that she has written nothing which i have the right to answer with a love-letter like this but this is not an answer to suzanne's letter it is an answer to her flower ruddington in a corner of the envelope i found something which his lordship's wonderful beautiful susan has overlooked it was a petal of a creamy rose poor ruddington and to think that it is nobody's fault tuesday at sunrise how can i write it only because if i write it not my brain will turn my heart will break i love ruddington for days and weeks i have lied to myself i have lied to this book with my wits i have parried the truth but in the heart of my heart ever since the day i took his portrait in my hand i have known as i have looked for his writing by every post i have known as i have read his letters grave or gay i have known as i have sat replying i have known every hour of every day by the sea in the garden in this room i have known when i saw his portrait facing mine i knew when i saw his place empty in the frame i knew oh how hungrily and when i sat on sunday bitter-hearted under the Birigny cavalry i knew yet god knows how i have fought it how i have held it down even out of my own sight and god knows how according to my light i have striven to do my duty by susan and by gibson and by them all my poor wits are too weary they can parry the truth's bright cruel thrusts no more so before i tear this book into tatters and burn it till not a letter of his name remains once for all i will confess i love ruddington i fell asleep last night with his rose-leaf my stolen rose-leaf under my pillow i dreamed a dream of peace a peace as sweet and strong as death 
i dreamed i was at rest within his arms and i awoke in the loneliness of the rainy daybreak holding out my hands to him and murmuring his name tuesday two p m i shall burn this book but not to-day the world seems hushed remote unreal to-day i seem to belong not to life but all to love and death as soon as the sun had conquered the mist we went down susan and i to bathe the tide was high with warm boisterous waves perhaps i went out too far or breasted the rude buffeting too long without warning my strength forsook me i half swooned in the water the undertow drew my feet away from their hold on the ribbed sand and at the same moment a towering craggy wave broke with a shattering crash full over me involuntarily by the animal impulse of a creature clinging to life i raised a foolish cry which filled my mouth with water i threw up foolish hands and straightway began to sink but instantly calm and self-control returned the great waters were chanting in my ears i even opened my eyes and looked up through the green crystal at the noonday sun a round moon-like sun mild and cool and kind i believed it was the end death was all round me and under me and over me like the sea but i was not afraid till death was near i had not dreamed that he could be so sweet to sink down 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 in his arms was not a frightful descent into horror it was a gentle settling into unutterable peace but it was not to be for the present i belong to life who is so niggardly and cruel not to love who is so lavish or to death who is so kind susan had seen me collapse and when a thunderous wave swung me towards her she plucked me from its grasp susan does not know that death has laid his lips on mine and that i have looked into his pitiful eyes she thinks i merely lost my footing and she knows nothing of the swoon but she says i look ill and shaken and i do believe she has forgotten her own affairs in mine at sunset susan won't let me leave my room she has guessed that this morning's affair was more serious than a mere swallowing of salt water and she insists that i am an invalid for the rest of the day georgette has made a crackling wood fire the logs rest on quaint old iron dogs and in one sense the blaze is cheerful in another sense it is depressing the sun has set early and these logs are the funeral pyre of summer everybody is so kind georgette set a table between the hearth and the window and madame has sent up such a poulet en casserole as i have never tasted before du poirier chose out a burgundy dry and bold and strong now that i feel so much better i know that i was ill before dinner i lay down on my bed and slept two unrestful hours i dreamed that i was climbing toilfully up a stony path between ruinous walls and close-grown ancient thorns i climbed in a light that was neither of the night nor of the day in the wan and chilly light of a moon-like sun such as i had seen through the water and all the time i climbed i knew that he was near thrice i saw him through the briars and once he called my name but he was always on the other side of the wall i dreamed much more but though i couldn't help dreaming i can help recalling it all i can keep writing it yet what can i do if i don't write i can't get to close grips with a book the end of les chouans is too beautiful too sorrowful and i've no one to talk to save susan susan has been an angel all day 
but i couldn't talk to her just now i will go to bed midnight the house is quiet as the grave i cannot sleep perhaps the fire was too restless and bright the room is so warm that i am sitting without even a dressing-gown just as i slipped out of bed i have a plan of wooing sleep i am going to write to ruddington not a reply on behalf of susan not a letter that will ever be posted not a letter that any eyes save mine shall ever see once just this once because i am sleepless and shaken and worn and unhappy i will let myself go for half an hour he shall be mine his rose-leaf my stolen rose-leaf shall lie by my hand to-morrow the fire for what i write to-night and for me to-morrow and all the morrows after it no looking back to this hour no brooding no idle regret nothing save the quest of forgetfulness this is what i write the first and last love-letter of my life st veronica's at dead of night beloved you bid me write to you just once without distrust either of myself or of you you bid me pour out all my heart i obey once this once i will speak to you as i have never spoken before as i can never speak again you have seen me in the flesh three times treading the solid ground breathing the summer air yet you do not love me i have seen you only in a portrait and i love you as wildly as eternally as immeasurably as you believe you love poor susan i know it all through my soul and as you wrote in your first letter there can never be any one in the world for me save you your portrait was the beginning how can i have been near your own very self those three times in england without turning to you as a flower turns to the sun without answering you as deep answers deep i do not know perhaps my heart did turn my soul did answer but for my consciousness the portrait was the beginning and what your portrait began your letters have carried on you say that poor susan's mind is even more beautiful and wonderful than poor susan's face alas how cruelly you are deceived how rudely you must be awakened but with thee beloved it is thy mind that makes me love thee most although i have wandered only a few steps along its margin i know that a long lifetime would not suffice me to explore that goodly land with its sunny fields its merry brooks its great deeps its peaks piercing the clouds of heaven yes beloved thy mind is beautiful and wonderful and yet it has deceived you at the sight of a pretty face you bent like a reed under an immense infatuation which you think is love it is the tragedy of your life and mine beloved that we whom god made for one another must go our separate ways you with your infatuation i with my love doubtless before long we shall meet you will feel the delicacy of my position you will be considerate grateful kind and i must sit and smile and put you at your ease while all the time my heart will be crying this is the man who should have loved me to-morrow all will be changed this hour of self-revelation will belong to the past never to have a successor but to-night i have let myself go if you were here at this moment your infatuation should melt and vanish before my love like hoar-frost before a raging fire 
you should go down on your knees you should prostrate yourself at my feet imploring pardon for your ignoble truancy and for your treason against love but i would make haste to forgive you beloved and to raise you up and to throw myself against your heart into your arms i send you back your rose-leaf it has lain by me as i have written and i will keep nothing to remind me of this hour so i send it back not as it came for it is heavy with a kiss the sand has run out in the glass my hour is ended when i have laid down my pen i shall weep and when i have wept perchance i shall sleep and love you dreaming as you will never love me waking farewell i laid down my pen five minutes ago i take it up again to say that i have not wept and that i cannot sleep what a letter i have written what a slow-footed cold-blooded low-pulsed nerveless school-girlish scribble will the fire be able to burn it i wonder or will it put the fire out like an armful of damp green boughs no i can't sleep my very contempt for what i have written has awakened me in every fibre i am not ill now i have never been so well before in my life a moment ago i looked at myself in the glass the picture enchained me i stood with the torch-like brass candlestick held high my uplifted arm was bare as far as the deep lace at my elbow my eyes shone my hair fell all about me almost to my knees in contrast my feet were like two lilies my neck was like a swan's and as i gazed another veil was withdrawn from the mystery of life by the light of the candle i saw my own cheeks glow red as it was revealed to me what it will mean to live without love what fate denies me is not only communion with a kindred spirit i too am flesh and blood let susan and ruddington thank their stars that i was brought up gently christianly instead of wickedly selfishly in the passion-fraught air of a worldly home let them thank their stars that the devil in me has been laid that the tigress in me has been tamed if ruddington were here to-night if susan came running hither through that door how small a thing could sting me past control and arouse me to overwhelm them under my proud anger and pitiless love i could dash his china shepherdess into a thousand pieces i could compel him to forsake all and follow me to the end of the world a memory rises up suddenly and makes me laugh bitterly susan at traxelby how i smiled at her melodramatics when she knelt down in an agony of fear and made me swear that i would not take him away from her but i have sworn and i may not repent enough far more than enough of this it is mad it is sickly it is contemptible no more of it to-night or ever i will go back to bed and lie snug and read till morning wednesday noon in bed i feel bruised all over strengthless stunned susan woke me at ten o'clock les chouans had fallen to the floor and the candle at my bedside had burned down to its socket susan says that she came in at seven with no less noise than usual but i was sleeping so soundly that she didn't like to wake me before ten while she was propping me up with pillows and pouring out the coffee i looked round the room and my heart stood still the letter to ruddington was gone my cheeks turned whiter than the sheets susan caught me in her arms oh miss gertrude no no 
she wailed i couldn't bear it she thought i was going to die i opened my eyes and tried to speak but susan wailed on it's my fault miss all mine you're so good to me miss i ought to have known i ought to have said don't bother about his lordship miss till you're well and strong but i didn't think i'm too selfish miss oh miss gertrude to think you were sitting up writing and writing all that and me snug and warm in bed susan i said feebly asking the question in terror what have you done with it it's gone miss answered susan with the prompt heartiness of one who breaks good news and administers consolation so you don't need to worry your head about it any more gone i echoed in a voice as thin as a ghost's yes miss madame was going to grand pont in the omnibus she asked me if we had any letters for the early post and oh miss gertrude it was perfectly lovely i can't never thank you enough i couldn't understand it all through but it was so lovely it made me cry i lay still with closed eyes when susan held the coffee to my lips i drank when she drew away the extra pillows and settled the bedclothes cosily round me i did not resist indeed i did not say another word susan thinks i am asleep i ought to be up and doing but doing what i ought to be hot angry ashamed full of resolves and plans but i am lying here despite the shocks and bruises subdued at rest strangely imperturbable can it be that i am happy because while i have played fair with susan i have been suffered once just once to speak in his ear and to send him a rose-leaf with a kiss i have thought it all out did susan sign the letter even if it has gone without her name it doesn't matter he cannot guess that it is mine at first i shuddered at recollecting the bits about poor susan but again it doesn't matter he will take it that susan has written poor susan instead of i just as he himself writes prudent susan instead of you he will read it to-morrow morning it will puzzle him but the task of interpreting it will delight his fanciful super-subtle mind i can predict his reading of the riddle he will take it that susan in her wonderful beautiful soul is comparing her angelic love with his very human infatuation he will picture her more exquisite and spiritual and poetical than ever but it is my kiss that he will cull from the curling lip of that pale rose end of book three part eight